welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. Last year's virtual convention forced us to postpone the Hall of Fame banquet. In order to celebrate the 2021 class, we did a series of podcasts with the inductees. We're using Christmas break here to reissue last year's episodes to once again celebrate the 2021 class. We're so excited for the Chicago convention to be able to honor the 2021 and 2022 classes at the Hall of Fame banquet on Friday, January 7th. We can't thank all of you enough for your continued trust and support. I hope you all enjoy listening to these legends of the game. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. This is our first episode in our ABCA Hall of Fame series. With our convention going virtual this year, we wanted to pay tribute to our 2021 incoming class. All of these coaches will be speaking at the 2022 banquet in Chicago, but we wanted to get all of them on the podcast to tell their stories before that. We have a special one to start with Hal Baird and Casey Dunn, who is representing his dad, Sammy, who passed away in 2004. Coach Baird played collegially at East Carolina and then pitched professionally. He was an assistant at ECU before being named the head coach of the Pirates in 1980. He spent five seasons at East Carolina taking the Pirates to three regionals. Coach Baird was named the Auburn Tigers head coach in 1985 and coached for 16 seasons. He left as Auburn's all-time winningest coach. In his tenure, the Tigers had two World Series appearances in 1994 and 1997 and nine regional appearances. He left coaching with 779 victories in 21 seasons and two 51 seasons at Auburn in 1995 and 1997. Sammy Dunn was one of the most successful baseball coaches in the history of Alabama high school baseball. In 27 seasons at Vestavia Hills High School, Coach Dunn had 647 victories and nine Alabama 6A state titles. The 1998 Vestavia team was national champions and Coach Dunn was named the National High School Baseball Coaches Association Coach of the Year. When Coach Dunn passed away in 2004, he was the all-time winningest coach in the state of Alabama. He was a founding member of the Alabama Baseball Coaches Association. The Alabama Baseball Coaches Association Coach of the Year Award is named after Coach Dunn. Casey Dunn is a great baseball coach in his own right. 
He's been a Sanford head coach for 16 seasons. He will get to 500 career victories shortly here in the 21 season. He had the honor of playing for both his dad and Coach Baird. Let's welcome Coach Baird and Coach Dunn to the podcast. Here with Hal Baird, a longtime ECU and Auburn head coach, and then Casey Dunn uh, filling in for, for his dad, Sammy, who's longtime coach at Vestavia High School in Alabama, who passed away in 2004. Really appreciate you guys coming on with me today. My pleasure, Ryan. Good to be with you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ron. And Casey, this is actually an idea I got from you. I'm going to interview all of the ABCA Hall of Fame inductees for the 2021 class, but you actually sent a tweet out um, just saying how great it was that your dad and also your longtime college coach were going in at the same time. Oh, man, true, truly special. Um, obviously, myself and my family could not have been more excited when we got the call that dad was going to have the opportunity to be recognized and uh, something that obviously I think was well reserved, deserved on his part. But uh, when I got the news and found out that Coach Baird was going in as well, I was kind of tipped off. There's a possibility uh, by a buddy a while back, and I thought, man, that'd just be too good. And then uh, when I actually saw that it happened, man, couldn't have been more excited. And you know, obviously, uh, equally as deserving. And and you know, again, long time coming for the career that he had and and the impact that he had on myself and so many. Can you dive into that a little bit? He, 27 years, he had nine state titles. I mean, there are not too many guys that can say that they had nine state titles in 27 years. Can you talk a little bit more on that? Man, and, and the craziest part of it is, is, you know, the nine state titles came during a 10-year window. Uh, with the one year that was lost was 1992 as my sophomore year and um, actually lost in game three uh, on, a, on a misplayed ground ball or it would have been 10 out of 10 during the 90s. So, uh, that's how close we were in the final game, but um, but no, it's just just a special run and something is I think Coach Barrett will say it, it takes time to build a program, and uh, everybody focuses on the the nine state titles, but at Vestavia High School to this day there there is a sign that acknowledges county champions from the late 70s and the early 80s, and it, it's still there. Uh, it's a little ratty, it's a little beat up, and my dad would never take it down or do anything more to it because that was the groundwork. That was the foundation of the program when it started truly on a rock pile that they had to build their field. And, you know, just the pride that was created within that program early on that that culminated with nine state titles and national championship and uh, really nothing but success until his passing. Coach Baird, can you talk a little bit about your coaching path and then some of the mentors you had along the way on your coaching journey? Absolutely. But I'd like to make a couple of comments on top of Casey's. Yep. Um, having watched that Vestavia Hills High School program and been the beneficiary of so many of the great players that came through there, I can tell you that without a doubt, I've never seen a high school program run as well or effectively, as successfully, efficiently. Everything that you want to come out of a baseball program, Coach Dunn had at Vestavia, and any coach at any level needed to see a Sammy Dunn practice. It was, it was unlike anything I'd ever seen at the professional level, college level, whatever level. It was amazingly organized. It's just incredible. You, just have, you can't really describe it. But the, the, the thing that I think Stephen Fowler was, ha again, having so many of the players that came out of the program. It's no coincidence that in our program at Auburn, 
uh, it's a very arguable point that the success we had through the 90s was built at a foundation of players who came through that Best Avery Hills program. I mean, Jay Wagner was the first, and he made All-American. And then came Ryan Howell, and he made All-American. I don't think Ryan ever lost a game at Best Avery Hills. And then Casey came, and he made All-American. Josh Hancock, bless him, he came and would have been as good as any that's ever been here. He pitched in the World Series with the Reds, uh, with the Cardinals. I don't think he ever lost a game at Best Dave, I don't believe. And then we had Ben Spigner and others come along, and it was just one after another. But um, I've seen lots of high school programs in lots of states that were very successful. Every state seems to have one or two that are the benchmark for everyone else. But Best Dave Hills High School was the best I've ever seen, and, and it was an incredibly well-run program. And such a tribute to Coach. It's still it's still Coach Dunn's program. And Coach Baird, uh, that makes that a little bit easier for you then? You, you recruit one, he's a good player, makes it a little easier for you to go back? Well, here's the thing about here's the thing about that. People later on kept saying, oh, well, you know, Baird gets all the best of you guys. Well, kind of like Coach Dunn building his program, I was here nine years before I got the first one. <laughs> Once we got the first one, you know, it worked out okay pretty, pretty well. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that was – that was uh, it really was – special relationship in every in every conceivable way. And I would like to piggyback to what Casey said about this particular event. I had no idea until the, until the day that Craig called who the inductees would be. And when I saw that Coach Dunn was going in at the same time, my mind immediately went to the banquet. And seeing Casey up, I just knew Casey would be the one. And I'm thinking, this is going to be hard, man. This is really going to be hard. So I'm glad I've got a little extra time maybe to get ready for that. But it is very, very special for me as well, uh, having a chance to go in with Sammy Dunn. Coach Bayer, talk about your path a little bit. I mean, it's okay. a lot of success at East Carolina and at Auburn. Um, just talk about how you got there and some of the people that helped you along the way. Well, I was really fortunate, and I would have to say that to, to be a Division One coach, my path wasn't exactly like everyone else's. I didn't go through the GA program or any of those kinds of things. Um, when I got out of pro baseball, I actually went back to get a master's degree, not really knowing what I was going to do at ECU. And uh, they had hired a new coach who had hired a pitching coach who just didn't show up, decided to stay somewhere else. And so the head coach knew me and he came and said, look, I know you're in graduate school. How about coaching our pitchers for one year? And I went, no, nah, I really need to get this thing up with and go to work. And he talked me into it because he said he could pay me. And uh, we won a championship and it was a little bit of fun. I was about to finish my master's. And um, he, they, offered, they came up with a full-time position. I had nothing better. And so I, I began as a pitching coach. And two years later, uh, I actually went to the University of Florida on an interview for the pitching coach's job. And when I came back, my boss at ECU had, re had resigned. I didn't even know it when I left to go to Gainesville. And so the AD called me in and he said, you know, you're way too young to be a head coach at the Division One level, but we may give it to you on a one-year basis to see how you do. And I, and I talked to my wife, Janie, about that. She said, well, is the team going to be any good? And I said, yeah, they're going to be pretty good. She said, well, let's do that. So we stayed and it worked out great. East Carolina was great to me. We had great teams and it's, a, it's, it's always had a really good baseball program long before I got there and long after I left. It's been good at every level. And then, uh, but as far as people along the way, John Sherholtz had a big impact on me. 
Um, the Royals now as known as a small franchise, small market franchise in my day, they were cutting edge. They, they had an academy program that was doing studies on spin rates and things that now seem to be brand new in baseball, but they were doing them in the 70s. So it was a really great learning laboratory. Uh, there was a pitching coach there by the name of Chuck Stobbs who pitched 15 years for the Red Sox and the Senators that was the best pitching coach that I'd ever been around. But I also have to say that not necessarily specific to baseball, because I was lucky enough to be in pro ball for a while and, and be with Whitey Herzog and Jack McKee and a lot of big league managers. So that part wasn't too much of a mystery, I didn't think. But the idea of coaching, I'd have to say Pat Dye had a real impact on me in terms of coaching, just the, 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 the constant of coaching that you coach people more than you coach the game. I thought he was really good at that. If you went to his practices, very much like Coach Dunn's, those, those kids in that program were desperate not to disappoint the head coach. And if you get that as a head coach, he's probably on your way to winning some battles. So I would say, I'd say Pat Dye and, and John Sherholtz were probably mentors and people who I learned the most from. Casey, can you talk about playing for your dad in high school, a unique experience of getting to play for your dad? I played for my dad in college. Can you talk about the, those four years you played for your dad in high school? I think that, you know, the first thing is that I really didn't know any different, you know, that my dad was truly my first coach outside of, you know, your, your park league dad coaching you. Um, so I, I didn't know any different until I got to Auburn with coach Baird, but, um, but obviously it, it's memorable. You know, people always ask about the crazy stories and, you know, what'd your dad do when he got mad at you and those things. And, and quite honestly, I really don't remember those, you know, uh, the memories that stick and I assure you, I ran a lot and, uh, dad was would get creative, so to speak, at times with some punishment, and I was a part of it. But uh, but most of my memories are so positive, and it was more about the relationship we had, and you know the ability of just communicating with him. Um, you know, I tell people it's you know it's truly something that you know coach knows this. I mean, heck, after every practice at every game, I couldn't get out of the park quick enough to call him and tell him about my day. You know, it's just that relationship aspect that I had of playing for him that. Uh, just never went away. Even when I got into coaching, you know, after a practice or a game, I'm calling him, you know, dad, what I do, you know, coach Baird gets a lot of those calls now. And uh, when the train gets off tracks, he has to, he has to hear from me now. But, uh, but I think th those are the greatest memories, you know, or just the, the conversations and the relationship piece. And, um, you know, I tell people all the time, I've been very fortunate to play for great baseball people and, you know, Coach Baird and, and Steve Renfro that was with him for so long. I mean, those people had such a huge influence on my life, um, both on the field and off the field. And uh, But from a fundamental standpoint, you know, what, what my dad could teach on just the basics of the game, the, the fundamentals of the game, I've never been around anyone that that could get it across and get people to execute it as well as he could. And, um, you know, people ask me the difference a lot, you know, playing for my dad versus playing for Coach Baird. And tell people all the time, you know, on the fundamental end, I learned everything about the fundamentals of the game and competition for my dad. You know, the mental aside to how to play the game, how to succeed at the college level, you know, everything of that I learned from Coach Baird and Coach Renfro. You know, it was, you know, truly a perfect storm of getting the, the basic fundamentals early and going to a program that allowed me to grow and, and taught me the nuances of the game and the mental approach and how to prepare and you know, how to understand, you know, how a guy is going to try to attack you and vice versa. Um, you know, I, I had the perfect combination of the two. And uh, I think, you know, as I look back and kind of what helped me build into a coach of today, uh, it's having the background in both. And, 
you know, the fundamental aspect is, is where we start with. And I think that's what made dad so perfect for the level and the program that he was at is, is that's what he loved. Uh, you know, he loved the basics, you know, he loved teaching the high school kid, like you teach an eight year old. Um, that was his passion. And, um, you know, I think just those, those fundamentals, that groundwork, um, you know, that foundation that I was able to learn and all those guys that came through his program, uh, I think made coach Baird's life and a lot of college coaches lives easier when they got into their programs down the road. Do you feel like that's the biggest thing that helped you make that next step to being a good college baseball player? Uh, no question. And like I said, you know, there, there's a big transition. Um, and, you know, I tell people, you know, Steve Renfro, that was our hitting coach for so long. I mean, my first year in college, I, I remember it was nonstop with him telling me, you know, how I should prayer for each at bat and what pitch I should look for. And, you know, I'll never forget, you know, when that second year started, and I kind of looked at him. I was like, man, I don't need you. I spent a year with you last year, man. I know what to do myself now. Uh, but it took a year. You know, it truly took a year of having a guy in my ear every day, uh, sometimes, you know, wearing me down every day. But every day just pouring into me um, for me to learn how to do it on my own. And, and I think that was, again, you know, what made my transition so much easier and you know, you know, being a catcher and, and talking to Coach Baird about calling games and how to attack hitters and watching him work with pitchers. You know, I think my pitching coaches here at Sanford uh, have Coach Baird to blame for this because, man, I, I feel like I got a pretty good knack of helping guys develop some pitches because of spending time in bullpens with him. And, you know, I won't overstep my own guys' bounds now, but uh, I still do it because I'm the boss and I get to. But, uh, but you know, little, the little nuances of that is what I learned so much from Coach and his staff. And, um, you know, being able to make that transition, um, you know, like I said, I, I don't think I could have gone to a better program with what my base was coming out of high school and then what I needed. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, I, I won't say my dad steered me in the direction of Auburn, uh, but I think that's why he was so excited for me to make that decision so many years ago um, is that he knew that that was the group that could provide what I needed at that point in my life. And I got a chance to watch your 97 team at the College World Series. Coach Baird and I talked about that, and Tim Hudson's the – SEC player of the year that year. Can you guys, Coach Baird, talk about that time there, you guys together with Casey playing for you at Auburn? Well, first of all, you know, I wanted to mention there's a picture. I'm not sure if it was a media guide or where it was, but it's Casey's catching at Auburn. And he's looking over. It's a home game <coughs> at the dugout. And he's giving me a sign, a pitching sign. And we had this little system where he would he would call the game and I could add or subtract or whatever. But in, one thing I'll, I will mention in 97, while it's fresh on my mind, Casey was an All-American player. And in the first game of that regional, he was hit on the hand by a guy who's now a major league pitching coach, Paul Menhart. Hit him on the hand, that broke his wrist. And th that was against Western Carolina. It was Keith LeClaire's Western Carolina team that had a lot of good players. And the next night, I think we played South Florida, and Casey was in a cast. It was just, it was just a horrible thing. Casey, you may not remember this, but Casey stood by me in the dugout and he called that game. He he called. Do you remember that, Casey? Hepson. I do. Uh, Brian Hepson was on the mound, coach. Right. And we, yeah. we beat, I don't remember the score, but I think we may have shut him out. And I thought, I thought, I'm, I'm sh in my memory, we shut him out, coach. I think we did. Because I remember having the thought, what am, what am I doing here? I don't need to call this. <laughs> but it was really a great moment. And um, Casey proved 
beyond any shadow of doubt what kind of teammate he was in that circumstance where he misses the opportunity of a lifetime to play in Omaha, but he got the team to Omaha. And it was an, it was a, it was a great team. Um, it's ironic that uh, that year there were four teams from the SEC West that went, all really good teams. It's I'm not sure where we fit. LSU was probably a little bit better than we were. We were really good. We were way better than the '94 team that went to Omaha. And that was Ron Ron Polk's last year at Mississippi State before he went to Georgia and then bounced back. So that there's a lot going on in that World Series with the SEC. Well, well it was. I, I tell you one thing. I, but I was going to say that um, I remember the I remember the press conference and Mark Marquez from Stanford was the first coach to speak and he said, "Let me thank Skip and Ron and Jim and Hal for inviting us to the SEC tournament <laughs> here in Omaha." And it's the only time still that four teams from one division went, but it was a, it was a, it was a special group of guys. I mean, the pitching staff was extremely talented. We had our rotation with Hudson, Brian Hepson, who was a first rounder, Brent Shaning, who was a third rounder. We had Josh Hancock. We had Colter Bean. We had uh, Patrick Dunham. We had Finley. We just had a bunch of guys that were really good. And the team, the team was offensive as could be. Uh, we, we were probably about sixth or seventh in the league in home runs. I don't even remember where that wasn't necessarily our game, but I think we hit 340 as a team and, um, we won 50 games, which is hard to do, but it was a special year. And, and, um, the regional was, I can remember, I can remember just how hot it was. You know, it was, a, we had to go to the final game. Tim had played center field in the afternoon and came back and pitched on Sunday night to win the, the uh, final game, but it was a special year and a special team, but that was a good, that was a good run all the way through. I, that one, I'd like to have seen that team in Omaha in another year, or because I had to use Tim twice in a regional, we didn't pitch him against Stanford in the first game. I, I would have liked, I think that would have been a good matchup for us, but we felt like we needed to give him a little bit more rest. He wasn't a big guy then. And twice kyle peterson and i were were teammates in the yeah. cape league so he was there that was a good stanford club ucla had a good club in that field that was a really good college world series field Kyle embarrassed me i still i'm still waiting to to see kyle you know i was talking to our team about omaha and i played in omaha for three years with the royals so i was very familiar with the people and it's just a great baseball town and i was telling our players about how, how wonderful the fans are, and they don't really have a favorite, and a lot of times they'll jump on a team that hasn't been there a lot, and that'll be their team. And I said, you know, we'll probably be that team this year. We'll probably be that team. Well, so we play the first day against Stanford, and who's pitching but an Omaha, Nebraska native. We went to high school there, so we didn't have a fan in the stands. But, uh, but, I, but we got rid of Kyle fairly early. I mean, actually, we got rid of him pretty early, but they brought in a guy with a great hook, that yeah, Boston, wasn't it, Coach? Boston, yeah, the Royals. He's another teammate on that team at Katua. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we had the bases loaded with one out and had scored two or three in the inning. I, th- I really felt like we were getting ready to do some damage, but this kid comes out of the bullpen throwing – Had a yacker. Kind of curveballs, just this unbelievable curveballs. But it was a great memory and a great team and wonderful people, great kids. Coach Dunn, do you miss the negative five bats at all? You know what? My players here don't believe me when I say this. Coach Baird may not back me on this. I never liked the weight of the negative five. So back in our day with the Louisville Sluggers, we had you could choose your weight. And I used a minus three back then. 
Now, the walls may have been a little thinner, uh, but at least was heavier. Um, And I'll never forget, Coach, I don't know if he remembers this or not, but uh, Louisville sent us some bats one time that the handle was spray-painted red. And it's when they were trying out the air attack where they put the bladder in them. And I remember the equipment guy came to me and said, hey, Coach, wants you to try this out in BP? And I took like three swings, set it by the cage, picked up my regular bat, and Coach's like, hey, you don't like it? I was like, coach, I'm not screwing that thing up. It's not legal. I will use it tomorrow in the game. And that was about the three game stretch of my life until that bladder busted. And then it was no good. But, um, but yeah, I, I liked a little heavier bat. Now the, the wall may or may not have been a little thinner, but I at least did like a little weight to it. <laughs> coach Bear, And you know, besides the 97 team, you have Greg Olson, Frank Thomas, and Bo Jackson, three of the better big leaguers, um, that for their eras talk about those three guys a little bit as well well Bo was here when I came he was he, he was a sophomore and uh and, and you know everybody in the country knew about Bo as a football player and he had played baseball here at Auburn one year and then and then did not play his second year but he had he had every intention of playing and I knew that and we talked about it we didn't get him till January because the, the football team was in the cotton ball that year but um Bo, Bo was everything you read and heard about. I mean, you know, they're never, I'm not sure there still isn't even as genetically engineered as these kids are now. I'm not sure that anybody could ever do the things that he could do uh, when he, when he left high school there in, in Bessemer. I mean, um, he was the only player I ever saw that every day he would, he, he was possible to do something that you'd never seen before. And he also made incremental improvements. Like even though he had played in the cotton ball, he was ready to go in February. He was ready to play baseball, but I, I've just just kind of sat back and marveled at the at the physical gifts. And I remember uh, the the year that we uh, in in '85, and scouts were everywhere because they had Rafael Palmero and Clark and Brantley Thigpen and Bone, and a bunch of general managers, scouting directors were all sitting there on Sunday morning. And there was a guy there from the scouting bureau I'd known for a long time. He pitched for the Tigers, Detroit Tigers. And he told me, he said, I've seen Bo play a lot of times, but I've never seen him throw. Can he throw? And I said, Dick, he'd be his best thing. And he went, yeah, right. I've seen him hit and I've seen him run. And you're telling me throwing may be his best thing. I'm, I said, yeah, you need to see him throw. Well, in the sixth inning that day, uh, Clark was on second base and Palmetto had a line drive and a gap. And the fences were about 385. Bo made a catch on the warning track and turned and threw Clark out. He just threw a dart to third base and our third baseman just stood in the, the throw, cut the bag in half. Clark thought the throw had been cut, but it had not been cut. I mean, and, and I looked over in the stands and the scouts used to congregate over and down the third base line. And Dick, Dick Higgins, the gentleman I'm talking about, he looked at me and when he when he saw my he threw his clipboard up in the air like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. He really can throw. And, uh, but now Frank, on the other hand, was a lot more refined as a hitter. The only coach that, only high school coach I ever saw in this part of the country that I would even put in the strata with Sammy Dunn was Bobby Howard at Columbus High School. He won a bunch of state championships and a very, very good high school coach. He coached Frank. And Frank Frank Thomas came to Auburn very much like Casey and Ryan Halla and Jay Wagner came to Auburn. They knew how to play. And Frank's knowledge of the strike zone was unlike anything I'd ever seen anywhere. And not only did he, his vision must have been off the charts. We never tested him to my knowledge. But the thing that he could do, even as a young player, 
he didn't like the ball in that much. And he had that huge body. And so he had a way of making balls on the inside black look like they were balls and they never got called. He would throw his hands out and his butt out and the pitch would be on the inside black and it'd be called a ball. But an unbelievable player, unbelievable hitter. Uh, you know, I, I mean, really a once in a lifetime kind of guy. He didn't strike out. You know, I, his first year, nobody knew him and they pitched to him and he had 20 some home runs. Next year, nobody pitched to him. The third year, we finally put somebody behind him to protect him. We didn't have Casey and some of those other guys to protect him. And he went back and hit 22 more home runs. But a tremendous, the best college hitter, best hitter. And I was, I played with George Brett, but Frank Thomas is the best hitter I've ever been around. Well, Coach Baird, you talked about Jeff Austin's breaking ball. Greg Olson, pretty good breaking ball in that. The only, the only college one I ever saw better was Greg's. And I do think Greg's was better. And that's no disrespect to Austin because that thing was beauty. But Greg's was one of those ones that started high and finished low. And, uh, you know, we made a closer out of him his second year. And, and his dad, again, another very, very successful Olson at Northwest Belt. High School yeah. Omaha won a bunch of state championships. And trying to, to uh, coerce Bill into letting Greg be a closer, he never pitched in relief in his life. And I did have some trepidation about putting a guy at the end of the bullpen who threw a curveball. You didn't see many closers in the big leagues that were curveball guys, but Greg's makeup, so aggressive. He was a sprinter. Um, threw hard, too. I mean, he had, everybody talked about the curveball because it was so good. But he threw in the mid-'90s. And uh, so, you know, that was a really, really big recruit for us. He was the number one rated high school pitcher in the country that year coming out. And we were very fortunate to get him, and that helped along the way. But those three guys were – were they, they would spoil a young coach. And I was fairly young when I had them. I was 35 when I came to Auburn. Bo was already here. We got Frank two years later and Greg one year later. But they, those were also benchmarks so that when the Casey Dunn's and the Gabe Grosses – and the Mark Bellhorns and those guys came, at least you had something to compare them with because those guys had come before. And, and uh, But we were fortunate. We had a lot of great players. Casey, um, was that the expectation you show up on Aub at Auburn is that you're going to go to the World Series? You know, I, I had the fortune of, you know, I guess what Coach would have been 95 the, when y'all went. Um, you know, I think my dad that year with the team between Auburn, LSU, and I guess was it Mississippi State where there's three there in 95 with you, Coach? Yeah. Um, whatever it was, I think there was nine kids that my dad coached that were in the college world series in 95. So I actually got a chance to go out with them and, uh, and watch guys. And I think there was eight or nine again in 97, we went between us, Alabama and LSU. Um, but you know, I had a chance to go out there in 95 and watch coach Baird and that team play. And, um, uh, you know, that was after I'd already signed and, and knew I was going to be enrolling there in the fall and that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think there was a lot of excitement when I came into the program. They were coming off a of College World Series. Um, you know, I'm still a fairly superficial guy. They were building a brand new stadium, which is one of the reasons I wanted to go to Auburn. I wanted to play in a new park, man. It was going to be awesome. And, um, you know, so there was a lot of excitement and motivation. Uh, you know, that group of guys that I came in with, which obviously Tim Hudson was a part of it. David Ross is a big name that was a part of it. You know, Coach is a guy that you know, played the guy that coaches at Sanford for forever instead of the guy that played 13 years in the big leagues. Um, that's probably – that should have been on the resume of not getting in the Hall of Fame was that choice, uh, which I'll never – you're talking about calling my dad. I'll never forget one of the first couple of days at Auburn, I was talking to my dad, and he says, hey, how about that other catcher? How is he? And, Coach, I don't know if you know this. This is a true story. 
I said, Dad, I'm better than he is today, but at some point he's going to be better than me, and I better win the spot quick. <laughs> and, uh, and I was right because I won it quick, and sure enough, he ended up being a heck of a lot better than me down the road. But, uh, but no, the expectations were high. I came in with a group of guys that, that wanted to be successful. We, we cut our teeth, and at the time I thought was the worst season ever. And, you know, now that I'm in coaching, I think we won like 36 or 37 games still. Yeah. And, man, you would have thought we'd won 10 the way that year felt. Um, but, you know, that was a foundation year of our core group you know, made it to the World Series. We made it to a super regional and regional final. Like, we had a pretty good run there. Um, so, yeah, the expectations were high. And, you know, piggybacking on what Coach Baird said about Greg Olson, Coach was really good to not make me ever catch bullpens when I played. Because uh, when he told David to leave, I was literally the only catcher left standing. So uh, he didn't make me do a whole lot. But I'll never forget, I showed up to practice one day, and he was like, hey, get your gear. I need you to catch a bullpen for me. And I was thinking, man, what the heck? You know, we play tomorrow. He's going to make me catch a bullpen. And for some reason, Greg was in Auburn for some reason. And I got to catch him throw a bullpen. And I didn't know. He just said, go catch this guy. I don't even know if Greg introduced himself. And, you know, I'm back there catching. I'm thinking, holy crap, who is this guy? You know, and afterwards, Coach's like, hey, that's a pretty good curveball. And I was like, yeah, Coach, what's the deal? And uh, obviously, a guy that had a phenomenal big league career, uh, I could see the talent that day in the bullpen. But, um, but no, it, it, was, it was definitely expectations. And, you know, and again, I think, um, you know, I entered the program at a great time. You know, there are a lot of guys before me that kind of got through some tough years to build to that point. And I was fortunate enough to hit it at, at really, I think, probably the high point of Auburn baseball to this point. Uh, when you look at what we were able to do over that three-year window. Casey, what about going out there in 95 in high school to watch Omaha, watch the College World Series, and also seeing the amount of college players that came through your dad's program? How much did that help you then in college? Oh, it was awesome, man. I, I tell you, and seeing guys that I knew, and, you know, obviously that was one of the comforting things. You know, coaches mentioned Jay Wagner and Ryan Howell's name a lot. You know, and, and we had a guy named Peter Kanakis that was a good friend that was on that team with Coach. And, you know, there, there were three guys from my high school that were playing his program. And, um, you know, you're talking about a comfort level of a high school kid making a tough decision. Well, it's pretty easy when you got three guys saying, hey, man, this is a really good place and really good people. Um, so, you know, being able to be around those guys and, and see the excitement that was within the program and, um you know, that was the first trip in a long time. I think it's coach's first trip. And, you know, just the excitement of that was around the program at that point. And, you know, being able to talk to Coach Baird and Coach Renfro, you know, during that week and thinking, man, you know, I, a year from now I get a chance to try to get here. Um, obviously, it was a memorable thing. I, I'm, my wife will tell you I have a terrible memory, but I remember that trip well. Coach Baird, start first. This is for both of you guys. What were your biggest transitions going from an assistant coach to a head coach? Wow. Well, you know, as I said to you earlier, Ryan, I didn't have the typical. I had only. I was only out of baseball three years, playing professional baseball before I became a head coach. And so I was probably the worst assistant coach that ever lived. Uh, I had done very little. I had done zero recruiting before I became there and uh and didn't know a thing in the world about coaching it had never even crossed my mind playing had only been the only thing on my mind for for most of my life so i really you know in terms of the transition uh there it was a it was it was trial by fire 
because I had never put together a scholarship allocation model. I'd never put together, uh, I felt like I could get a team ready to play. And I felt like the kids would know what to do when we got to the game. But setting up a recruiting base and setting up an instructional development program and, and all the different things that a head coach does. And as I said, ECU, they had expectations too. I mean, they had won at every level. They had won their league championship at every level as, as the university grew and they got their medical school and did different things. The one constant was baseball won whatever league they went to. So, uh, and, and, but we had good players and we had good condition that helped recruiting. I, I think really the administrative aspect of it was the biggest transition for me. It wasn't baseball. It wasn't what happens on the field. I coached the hitters. I coached the pitchers. I coached all the stuff at ECU. And my assistant coach was an administrator. And um, so that part was not, I had played, I was an outfielder in college too. I played in the outfield as well as pitched. And so I felt comfortable with all of that baseball aspect of it. But the administrative thing was different. And, and then there was even another level of that coming to the SEC because there, there's a lot more, there's a lot more to it uh, with, the, with the media and in a state like Alabama uh, that, that thinks very highly of its athletic teams at its major universities, uh, you know, there's, there's more, there's a little bit more of that. But um, Coach Baird, how, how did you deal with the outside noise? You know, you're at an SEC school there. You've got everybody and their brother asking you about what's going on. How did you deal with some of the outside noise? I, I really didn't listen to it. I didn't, you know, they didn't, it wasn't the social media. In those days, it were talk shows, bad letters, and bad phone calls. That's, that's what coaches got. It wasn't so much social media, bad letters. You got all these kinds of things. But um, I just didn't listen to them. I didn't, I didn't let the coaches go online and look at any of the stuff that was being said. It just didn't. And you also won a lot of games, too. Well, we, we, we did win a lot of games. Um, I was thinking about Casey's years. He talked about that time. I mean, after the 96 season, which really was a low mark for us, I mean, 37 wins, wherever it was, in his next three years, the team won a championship each of those next years. They, they In 97, they won a regional. 98, they won the SEC tournament championship and in 99 which was the first year of the of the current format they won a regional here in auburn and went to a super regional and so um there was a five-year period where each on each each year that sunday we played to go to omaha didn't go every time but it was a you know you were in the picture you, you always felt like we were a player or two short just about every year when we finished that good enough we can just get one more one more arm in the bullpen the middle innings of the bullpen we're off in week four. And we didn't have a lot of depth. We gave larger scholarships. We didn't have any of the, the, the extra aid that I'm sure you're very much aware of. So we tried to find good players, sign good players that were going to have to play every day and have enough pitching. And if we stayed healthy, we were our, our top 14 or 15 were, were pretty good matchups for just about anybody. I'm not sure I could say that about player 23, 24, 25 very often, but it's certainly our first 13 or 14 matched up very well. But coaching in the SEC is, is a great, great thing. I mean, every school has just got its own nation and its own, own traditions. And the rivalry in this state is really a fun thing to be a part of. I don't care if you're an Alabama fan or an Auburn fan or whatever. It's just a lot of, a lot of fun. There's nothing like that, really. And, uh, and I think, you know, I think people at North Carolina would say their deal with Duke or NC State is the same way. But I've been there and it's not. <laughs> it's different here. Uh, but it's also a lot of fun. 
and you don't have to worry about getting your kids ready to play or anything of that nature. They'll be ready to play. But all, but this this entire league is that way. Um, I know people get tired of hearing SEC people say that, but until somebody does something about it, we're going to say it. Casey, what about you? What was your hardest transition from being an assistant to then going head coach? Well, I never got to be an assistant. So, um, you know, I guess, um, you know, I, yeah, I don't know, man. Um, you know, straight out of playing, I had an opportunity to take over a high school program that um, truly was not was not built. I mean, the school was even built when I was hired. They're in the process of, um, you know, finishing it up. And literally the field was graded with no dugouts when I took the job. So, um, you know, I kind of got the opportunity of, of learning to be a head coach from the beginning. And, um, you know, it was a good, you know, a, a great learning curve for me uh, because I truly had to, to start from scratch. And um, thankfully, I, I had a lot of good mentors, you know, starting with my dad to you know, at the high school level, a lot of, you know, his buddies that I were, I was able to call and, you know, pick their brains of how to handle certain situations. And, um, you know, as I transitioned to college, like I said, coach will tell you, I called him and, you know, there's some other guys that I have respect for in this game that, you know, I, I've done a good job, I think, of building relationships to be able to pick up the phone and call and, and ask for advice when, when I didn't have the answer. What were some of the conversations you had with coach Baird then early on? Uh, man, I, I think, you know, the first one was just if I was going to take the job here, Sanford at not, um, you know, I was going to go help, you know, Tommy Slater was one of the assistants when I was at Auburn with coach that got the head job at Auburn. And he was the one that was going to get me out of the high school game. And, you know, I was going to go be his volunteer at Auburn and, um, kind of a w weird chain of events. You know, he left Florida as an assistant to take the head job at Auburn and the coach at the time, Tim Parrington here at Sanford took Tommy's job at Florida, which created the opening here. And uh, I had a lot of connections with some Sanford people from being in Birmingham and, you know, everything from going to the church with the head of the trustees to being in a running group with the provost and, you know, buddies with the associate AD. So, uh, you know, I had a lot of connections here and, you know, and I talked to coach several times just about what was my best avenue, you know, what was going to be best for me. And, um, you know, I think in looking back at things, I think it's worked out well that I made this decision. But, um, you know, literally from from the beginning of what should I do, you know, what path should I try to pursue to, you know, other opportunities that have come or not come my way and talking to coach through those and um, just dealing with how to manage people. You know, I think that's the biggest thing is just, you know, one of the things Coach Bear did such a great job of was just managing people. And, um, you know, getting guys to, to be on the same page and, you know, handle the ups and downs. And, you know, I think that's one of the, the greater things I've taken from him just from having played with him and through the years is, you know, just try to have that consistency with the day in and day out approach that's going to allow a guy to be successful. What do you feel like are the biggest differences now when you first got into it, um, you know, with coaching? What's the differences now, Coach Dunn? Whew. Um, you know, I, I tell you one thing is um, just the, the, the ability players have to information and, um, you know, their willingness to seek it out. And, um, you know, a lot of that is good information. A lot of it's not. And I think the, the biggest thing we have to do as, as college coaches now is be able to answer those questions that the kids are going to have. You know, the adage of, you know, don't question me or don't question what we're doing. That's gone. Um, you know, and I think, 
if I disagree with something that they found or something they feel like they need to do, um, as long as I can support my beliefs, uh, our guys get on the page with it well, you know, and they buy into what we want to do. But um, but we've got to have the understanding of what is being taught, what is out there uh, to be able to address those with our guys. And your, your offensive numbers back that up. I mean, you you can you can back up anything that you're talking about. I think you're one of the best offensive minds that we have in the game right now. Um, you know, what about playing for your dad in high school, playing for Coach Baird at Auburn helped with your offensive approach and how you teach things now? You know, I think, you know, the biggest thing between my dad and Coach is both of them had high levels of success um, and they had different methods of achieving it. And I think that was probably the greatest thing that, that I was able to gain is that, um, you know, I didn't have to try to, quote, be my dad. I didn't have to try, quote, be Coach Baird because uh, I was able to see there was different ways to gain success. Uh, the similarities they had was they were extremely consistent. Uh, you know, both of them with their values and the way they went about their work, it was extremely consistent. And I think that's the, the kind of the common similarity would be their expectations were high and they were consistent in their approach. Um, and I think, you know, that's, I would say was probably be what I would take the most, um, is understanding that, you know, with each group, um, you know, I, I, I hope I have the ability of having some flexibility in terms of how I relate with each team we have. Um, and, you know, I've seen it done multiple ways now, and, uh, I've seen people have success doing it, you know, in different fashions. Coach Baird, what do you feel like makes a great coach? Well, I think Casey's really hit on on just about all the pillars, the foundational pillars that I would I would identify. I mean, and, and you're you're right. I mean, if anyone was actually born to be a coach, I think I think Casey's probably that guy. And you see the fruits of it. And I, I've I've really loved watching his teams play. And um, Stanford University is very very fortunate to have him. And you go back and look and some of the wins he said year in and year out and some of the seasons he said, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't have the, the media guy in front of me, but my guess would be that eight or nine of the best seasons they've ever had have been in his tenure. And I'm talking about a school that's, a, that's an old school going back to his Howard university days. But I think for me, I always felt like that, you know, if you had a philosophy, an offensive philosophy that you really felt good about that was transitional, that you would stay with it and not, not be, you know, not be Earl Weaver's three-run home run one day and Whitey Herzog, let's steal 130 bases the next day. I never felt like that was a good approach. I thought the best approach was to whatever you felt like was that you knew it could be successful if you had the right players. And you reinforced it. I felt like it was better to say 10 things to a team a thousand times more than a thousand things 10 times. You know, if you repeated it day after day after day after day, regardless of how you'd won or you lost, you knew it was to be successful. Um, then it would, it would, it would be a part of what they were. And, I, and watching Casey's teams play, they score against everybody. They score against good pitchers. They score against pitchers that are not so good. And they, they have bought in to whatever he considers his offensive personality to be. And wants that team to be, there are certain things in Sanford's players that you see every year. If you watch the 2019 team play, well, maybe let's go back and say the 18 team. <laughs> uh, but if you saw the 18 team play, it was like watching the 15 team play, the 14 team play in many aspects. And I think that's a real key. I think because what you get, not only do you get 
the idea that there are there are parts of this program that are going to be transitional when a new player comes in, but your older players that are, that are around as juniors and seniors can mentor the young ones when they come in, and they 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 take over. Hey, a Sanford player doesn't take a swing like that, or a Sanford player that's not the way a Sanford player does things. You get that from your seniors and your juniors. So I think consistency in the message has got to be a good message. It can't be a poor one fundamentally or one that has a lot of holes in it. But if it is a sound philosophy that has been proven to be successful over a period of time, and that's what you believe in, sticking with it, I think, is the best way to go. And I do want to give Butch Thompson at Auburn a shout out because he's letting you be in his office right now recording. That's amazing. Yeah. That That's that's typical baseball for me and baseball people, what baseball yeah. people are willing to do to help each other. And, um, you know, this doesn't get set up if it's not for him. And, you know, you both great head coaches. What do you feel like makes a great assistant coach for a head coach? Um, from, from where I stand, uh, and I was extremely lucky, um, you're, you're going to find, you need to find one whose expertise is not what yours is. If, you know, a Casey, I would, I would suppose Casey would be looking for a re recruiting and pitching person probably because I knew he would want to coach the hitters. Um, I wanted offensive guys uh, and recruiters. But I think the number one thing is loyalty. And I've said this about Steve Renfro very often. Uh, I didn't have a lot of head coaches, I mean, assistant coaches during my time. But I only had one that I really felt like that when a bad day came and we lost – that he hurt as badly as the head coach hurt when we lost. And that, people think that's the way it is in football and baseball, but it's really not. It's really not. It's, it's not going on their record. You know, they, they, they're not happy that they're lost, and there's always job security and all that to think about. But it's very difficult to find an assistant coach that actually hurts as bad as the head coach does when you lose a game, and I felt like Steve did. So I would say loyalty and commitment to a program are paramount. I think, Ryan, you know, the loyalty and just the consistency aspect. You know, my four years at Auburn, we had the same core staff with Coach Baird, Coach Renfro, and Tommy Slater. Um, you know, here at Sanford, you know, in 16 years, uh, Tony David has been with me all 16, and we've only had two pitching coaches during that time, you know, at a, quote, mid-major that doesn't pay great. And we've had some success where you would think these guys could have got out of here and away from me if they wanted to. But, um, you know, I think that's the thing that, that's helped our program be consistent through the years is just the loyalty of guys on the staff and people that have, you know, not just bought into our baseball culture and program, but into our university. Um, you know, being at Sanford Christian School, it's a, it's a little different environment. And, um, you know, I've been fortunate to have staffs that, um, you know, truly buy into the mission we have and enjoy the type of kids we're able to bring in our program. You know, the game's changed a little bit here on, on the youth side. What recommendations do you guys have for parents or youth players that are listening in? <laughs> Coach, I don't I'm, know if you've got a good answer for this because I, I don't. Well, I'm a dinosaur, and I'll, I'll be very honest with you. Um, I, I, I really I – mean, I think dinosaurs are allowed to say this. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan, really, of the, of the, of the youth baseball culture now. Um, I would like to see. I'd like to see the kids play more in meaningful games. I know the travel, the travel culture is here, and it's not going anywhere. But I thought I, I think that there's a place where kids just need to go out and play. They they don't need to learn the game in a batting cage, you know, or, or on, a, on a bullpen mound. They need to play, and they need to to learn to do the different things. And I, I, I 
I often reference my years in Puerto Rico, which I love dearly. Uh, you couldn't go by an empty field in Puerto Rico without watching young kids play baseball, and they played every position. Every kid played every position, sometimes with milk cartons as gloves. Now, now you know I'm a dinosaur. But, but the point is, is that they learn to be baseball players. Uh, you know, nowadays, I'm, I hear coaches talk about a guy who played left field, and they're going to move him to right field, and the guy jumping, well, I've never played right field. Geez, there used to be a guy all play all conference second baseman. He could be an all conference center fielder the next year if he was an athlete and had played baseball. Was a baseball player, and I'd like to see a little bit more of that. And I would like to see the radar gun become a lot less. I watched Kyle Hendricks throw last night and heard him talk about the exit velocities against Kyle Hendricks, and it's the best in baseball. They don't. There are not enough pitchers out there who who, who destroy hitters' timing, and the, and the now the velocity piece is so big for the hitters. They're getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and they're, and they're giving you the opportunity to disrupt their timing more and more with the advanced leg kicks, but nobody does it. It's not just one speed. It's three or four speeds. You know, it's a turnover, it's a turnover fastball. It's a BP fastball. It's a little bit off the breaking ball, and the kind of things that just bring your hands a little bit forward uh, as a hitter. I'd like to see a little more artistry in the pitching and really a little bit more artistry in the hitting. You know, Casey hit the ball right center field as good as anybody we ever had here. To me, that was a beautiful thing. And um, uh, I'd, like to see, I'd like to see a little more artistry, a little bit more. A marriage of the new and the old would be, make me very happy. You know, Ryan, my thing, and Coach used the term meaningful games. You know, I think about when I was coming through youth programs, whether it was Dizzy Dean or Dixie Youth or whatever they were, you know, you, you had your regular season. You competed to be an all-star. Then you had to win your sub-district and your district and your state to go to a World Series. Uh, but there was true competition. You were trying to win something to move on. And, you know, with the nature of, of summer baseball and youth baseball now, uh, there's a different World Series or championship every weekend. And I know for my son coming up, you know, he never really experienced having to deal with losses because he got to play in another tournament the next week. And, uh, you know, it wasn't that competitive nature that, that I think was probably kind of really pushed into a, the younger, you know, an old, well, I guess now what would be an older generation at a younger age. Casey, and knowing that, I mean, that's the kids that, that you recruit now and you know that coming in. What are some of the things you do during practice to, to help with the competitive side of things? You know, I, you know, I, I tell people if, if we have to create practice culture to build competitiveness, then I probably recruited the wrong guy. Uh, you know, I, I tell people, I mean, I didn't care if it was sitting in a classroom, playing ping pong, playing baseball, what? Like, I wanted to be successful. I wanted to win. And, um, you know, I think just by nature, you know, those are the guys we need to get. Uh, but, you know, there are competition points. You know, uh, we play, like I said, tomorrow uh, we will start our team portion of the fall and we'll enter squad tomorrow. Um, you know, in the COVID roster area, we've got so many bodies. We've got three inter-squad teams, and, man, those groups are going to stay together and they're going to compete. I've got a large freshman class. I put them all together, and one of my assistants yesterday was saying all those young guys, like, Coach, how, how are we going to do against these older teams? Like, Coach Dunn put us all in the same group together. You know, I was like, yeah, they're going to figure it out. You know, they're going to have to figure out how to how to beat those older guys. Um, well, that's ba so think, back then, know, we, Little League, nine-year-olds were playing against 12-year-olds back yeah, in Yeah, that's league. right, man. What's the, what's the difference? And um, so, you know, getting these guys to compete, and, you know, one of the things I guess we do maybe a little unique is if we're going to play a nine-inning inner squad one day, we're going to play three three-inning games just so that they have the ability to kind of compete, push, 
and then, you know, win or lose, do it again. And, you know, somebody's going to win two out of three that day. Um, so that would probably, I guess, be one of the things we do that, you know, I stole it from somebody. I don't remember who I stole it from, but, oh, um, you know, that that's one thing we do that I guess may be a little different. Do either of you have a fail forward moment along the path where something maybe you thought was going to sidetrack you and it ended up being the, maybe the best thing that ever happened to you? Um, I, I can't really say that I do, but I will say say something that's similarly related. Casey referenced earlier his freshman year, which was the worst year from a one loss standpoint in the SEC we had ever had. And 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 the appropriate amount of criticism and um, I had a lot of people tell me what needed to be done to fix it and who needed to go and who needed to stay and all those kinds of things. And I really felt strongly about the players that were here. And then the next year was here, we won 50 and went to Omaha. And I will say that as bad as 96 was to see those same kids do what they did in 97 with really no, no changes, just maturity and having a chance to go through it was an extremely satisfying thing. Whether it did or not, I don't know, but it made you feel like you were the program was validated. These same guys had been through it and it hadn't been so easy that first time around, but it was exactly the same guys that, that you know, struggled and struggled like crazy in 96, had a, had a maybe the best year in the school's history in 97. That was, a, that was a satisfying feeling. I don't know if it was maybe a direct answer or not. You know, and Ryan, and I'll, I'll kind of tie this back into my dad since that's the only reason I'm on this call today. But, um, you know, I, I think one of the things is I've kind of gone through my coaching career and my dad experienced it firsthand is sometimes there are situations, whether it's through the, the actual job in the baseball or off the field, that dictates your decisions. Um, there have been, you know, opportunities I've had that I thought, oh, this is going to be a perfect time for me and it not work out. And I'm still at Sanford and a couple months later, something happens and you're like, man, this is where the Lord intended me for to be. Um, you know, my dad literally accepted the job at the University of Alabama, um, you know, going into my senior year of high school. Like I remember him coming home and say, I got it, you know, and how excited he was. And I remember on a Sunday afternoon driving from Vestavia to Tuscaloosa, checking into the hotel across from the baseball field and walking down to the lobby with my dad to meet at the time Hootie Ingram, that was the AD. And instead of going to dinner like we were supposed to, him calling Coach Ingram up to the room to tell him that he couldn't take his lifetime dream job uh, because of the health issues my mother was going through at the time. And, um, you know, and again, you know, obviously, you know, my dad dreamed of that job. I mean, he was as Alabama fan as you could get. We grew up in Hugetown, man, you didn't have a choice. And, um, you know, but he turned it down because of the situation that my mom was in and what was best, what he felt was best for our family at the time. And I think as his career played out beyond that point, it was apparent that the Lord intended him to be there. That was his place. And um, coming from a family as a faith, as a believer myself, uh, you know, I truly think there's those moments in our careers where you wonder, man, this should have happened or this should have happened. Uh, but then you look back a few years later and believe, no, man, the Lord had me where I was supposed to be. And, um, and you know, we've been very fortunate to, to get to this position. Okay, so you talked about Coach Baird and your dad, how consistent they, they were. Um, did that help you now handle the ups and downs with coaching in college? 
Uh, man, I, it definitely gives me uh, mentors to look to. Do I handle it well? No. Um, I'm about as a roller coaster as it gets. So, uh, you know, I laugh, you know, Coach Baird, I wish I had a hat. I'd demonstrate, but I tell people, Coach Baird, the greatest emotion he'd show, he'd take his hat off and scratch his head. Uh, that was good or bad. You know, it really didn't matter. You know, that's just what he did. Uh, I'll never forget in the SEC tournament, Hayden Galimo, who may have weighed, what, 150, 160 yeah, pounds, yeah. Coach? I mean, yeah. he hit a ball out off of Florida, had a closer. I can't remember the guy's name. He Josh made Fogg. Yeah, made the big leagues. And we were playing at the the Hoover Met before they brought in the fences. And little Hayden hit a home run to put us up off of a big leaguer. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget. I don't know if Coach Smith, I walked by and slapped on the back and said, Coach, man, smile, man, let's go. You know, <laughs> Hayden, that little dude just hit a home run. Um, but, you know, outside of, you know, David's home run in Omaha, where obviously Coach lost it with the rest of us, uh, you know, just always consistent, you know, always just calm and presence and, uh, you know, a lot of intensity. I think a lot of people didn't see how intense of a person he was. Uh, you know, I got that sense several times just where you just could tell, man, I mean, like he was a competitor, but he always stayed calm in, in the moment. Um, whereas my dad, man, he was an emotional, like you were going to know how he felt, man, you're going to see it. And, um, you know, I, I probably have more of that, I don't probably, I definitely have more of that. Uh, but I, I can mellow at times, you know, my, my assistant, you know, Tony has been with me forever. Um, you know, he gets on me all the time. We, we've had a good little tournament runs and stuff. And, you know, he tells me all the time, man, if you would just act like you do when we go to tournaments, like we'd be so much better. Uh, Cause he's like, man, when we get to the postseason, like you just calm down and things don't bother you as much. And I was like, yeah, Tony, by then we can't fix it. Like, you know, um, <laughs> But, uh, but no, man, I, I do. I, I think, you know, and especially from coach, just, just seeing how level-headed he stayed. Um, Cause like I said, it, it wasn't a, an apathetic thought or it wasn't a don't care. Like, I mean, that dude was competitive, man. You could sense it. Um, and honest, I mean, goodness gracious. I mean, talking about that first year that was tough. I mean, Ryan, I could tell a couple stories of scouting reports from my freshman year where I walked out of there thinking, man, how bad are we going to lose tomorrow? Like, Coach just told us we stunk, and they were way better than us. I mean, I'll never forget, Coach, I don't even remember this, but my freshman year we were playing LSU, and not only were they a lot better than us, they were a lot bigger and stronger too, and we can talk about why. But uh, (laughs) I'll never forget Coach going around and literally went position by position and said, we can do nothing about how bad they're going to beat us because so-and-so would kick your tail, and -and so-and-so would kick your tail, and – you know, you think you're a tough guy, but their guy's tougher than you. And uh, and I'm sitting over there as a freshman like, what is he doing? I mean, he's telling me <laughs> the guy's going to beat me up. And uh, lo and behold, Sunday when we beat him, I may or may not have made a bad decision and started a little fracas because I wanted to show him, man, I'll whip this guy, coach, you know. But uh, but I think, you know, the honest side, and I tell our kids all the time, and, and I tell other people in coaching, one of the things I learned from coach is that players are smart, man, and you can't lie to them. You know, and especially our guys here at Sanford, man, you, you can't pull something over on them. You can't sit there and tell them that, man, this guy we're facing more, he's great. They know if he's not very good. You know, they know if we're playing a team that, you know, man, we should beat these guys. And uh, I think you have to prepare your guys of how to handle that. Um, my first year in the Southern Conference when we played Davidson College, Dick Cook was their head coach. He was one of Coach Baird's best friends. And you know, Dick was talking to me about, man, I coached against you. You know, I love Coach Baird. I love playing you guys. And, 
And I said, Dick, I don't know if you want to hear this, but I'll, I'll tell you the scout report coach gave us before we played. And he goes, what's that? I said, well, he said, all I remember is he said, guys, y'all are going to be a lot better than they are, but we're going to beat them. We're going to respect them. We're going to treat them the right way because they're a lot smarter than you guys are. And one day you're going to work for them. And, uh, <laughs> and he, laughing. he goes, man, that's probably true. I said, Dick, I'm sure it is somewhere, you know, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I did, I learned you have to be honest with your guys and, and coach was great about that. If we played people we should have beat, he told us if we were playing guys that, Hey man, these guys are more talented. We're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to outcompete them. We're going to have to catch some breaks. Uh, I think it helped us be more prepared as we went into the, those battles. Casey, how much of that with your dad when you played for him? Brutal honesty when you were playing for him? Uh, yeah, he, he was an honest guy, man. And, and you know, and, and that's the thing. I think Coach Baird, and I think you remember him telling me he got this from Coach Dye, is just that blue-collar mentality of, you know, we're going to outwork you, we're going to outcompete you. And, um, you know, and that was the thing with my dad is that, you know, most of the time we were the most talented team. We had a good run of players. And, uh, you know, he talked a lot about when we enter the ballpark, they're going to know they're about to get beat. You know, we're going to walk in there with an air of confidence, not a cockiness, but an air of confidence that we're going to do things the right way. You know, his big thing was when we take infield before the game, you know, they're going to look out there and say, oh, crap, they're about to kick our tail. And, um, you know, and I think just how you approach that, um, you know, we had a long streak. I mean, I think we won maybe as close to 40 non-conference games in a row or something at one point. And, um, you know, I remember when we lost Coach Renfro, I remember, well, you know, he was talking about, man, you guys didn't approach it the right way. Like you should have won today and you didn't approach it. Like, you know, and just how you carry yourself, whether you're the underdog or you're the favorite, uh, you've got to respect the game and approach it the right way. And, that was something that both my dad and Coach Baird were, were, I think, very consistent in how they taught it. Coach Baird, you touched on in the beginning, but what does it mean for you going into the ABCA Hall of Fame? Well, it's really – it is a humbling moment. You know, I, I think sometimes you almost feel cliche when you talk about it because you know uh, how, how do you articulate something that, that really there's limited ways to talk about it. You're grateful. You're, you're, you're humbled. I mean, you think about something like uh, college baseball and particularly the ABCA, which is the most prestigious, largest, best organization of coaches in, in the in, of baseball coaches in the country. And if you're going to be included with the top ones, it's a, it is humbling. It's a, and you're and you're very grateful. And the gratefulness comes from the coaches and the players who really did the hard work. Um, but it's still a very nice feeling. And um, I, I could not, uh, I've been very fortunate. I mean, I've, you know, I've had a lot of nice things happen to me uh, since I quit coaching. And um, this isn't the first Hall of Fame or any of that. But I will say that I cannot, I, I can say unequivocally that there will be none that I consider as prestigious as this particular one for the simple reason, Ryan, that I looked through, I did something when Craig called me that I'd never done before. I went to the, ABCA webpage and, and went to the Hall of Fame link and I clicked onto it and it was the most amazing uh, thing that happened to me because the first two or three names I saw were Walter Rabb from the University of North Carolina, Red Laird from Virginia Tech and Mac Pitt from the University of Richmond. Well, the reason I mentioned those guys, those were the coaches of my high school days. I knew every one of them, they all recruited me. Coach Laird at Virginia Tech was the first coach to offer me a scholarship. 
Well, then I scrolled down a little bit farther, and there was Mike Roberts and Joe Carbone, guys I played against. The next generation, guys I played with in, in the Valley League, guys I played against. And so there was another thing. Well, then a little bit farther, here's the great Keith Madison and Skip Bertman and Ron Polk and Tim Corbin and Jack Leggett, the guys, and, and more and more, the guys that I coached against. And it hit, hit me that in about one minute, I had been through 55 years of my baseball life. And that, that was a very powerful thing for me. And I think that's, that's probably what I'll say when I get a chance to talk. <laughs> yep. Brian, there's, there's no question, man. The ABCA was, was really a big deal to my dad. Uh, I forget uh, as a child, anytime we, the convention was within an easy drive from Birmingham, uh, we were there. Um, you know, I had the privilege of speaking several years ago and, um, it was great by the way, I, I came out of there. I, you know, I didn't know anything really about you at all being from the Midwest and United had not had any interactions, but I thought that was one of the better offensive talks I'd listened to. Well, I appreciate it. But the, the thing, you know, the thing that that meant so much to me when I was asked is my dad spoke at things all over the country. Um, but he never had that opportunity for whatever reason, you know, he was, never asked to talk and, um, you know, was probably the best clinician I've ever heard do it. So, uh, you know, to be able to do that, you know, after my dad's passing meant a lot to me because it was something that I know he would have really just shared the excitement of. And, you know, to, to be able to see him recognized, to be recognized by a group of coaches that he thought so highly of, you know, I think uh, myself, a lot of times, and I'm assuming a lot of other coaches, when they go to the banquets and they go to the conventions and they walk past those Hall of Fame walls, they probably walk past and never give it a glance. Um, I remember as a very young child, my dad taking me past those walls and pointing to people like, hey, man, this guy coached here. Man, I remember watching his teams do this. And, um, you know, truly something that that he respected what those people that came before him did. And to have the opportunity to, to represent the state of Alabama, uh, you know, as crazy as it sounds, my dad and Coach Barrett are only the second and third coaches from our state to go into the Hall of Fame. Uh, Steve Kittrell was the first only a couple years ago. And, um, and it's our fault because we haven't nominated enough of our great coaches. But, um, but, you know, to have Coach Kittrell, who was someone that was really a good friend of my dad's and, uh, Coach David, Tony David, my assistant, played and coached for Coach Kittrell before joining me at Sanford. So, uh, you know, getting to share that kind of through Tony to Coach Kittrell was really neat. And then, you know, now having the opportunity to, to see my dad, to see Coach Baird represent what is really a good state for baseball. Uh, people, you know, you, you got Alabama and Auburn football and people just think that's what we're all about. But man, there's a lot of good baseball in this state. And, you know, when Coach Baird and Coach Wells both had those programs rolling and Coach Kittrell had South rolling and, uh, you know, the Troys, the Jacksonville States, I mean, those are programs that have traditionally won their conferences. And, uh, you know, now we've been able to get Sanford at a good level. And, you know, Alabama is a good baseball state, a lot of good programs, a lot of great coaches. And, um, you know, to see him and Coach get recognized to represent our state at a national level means a lot to me. But I appreciate you both coming on with me. Uh, means a lot. So this is, is great for me, um, being able to, to connect with you 
And uh, thanks again for everything that you've done. Well, Ryan, thank you. I really look forward to getting a chance to meet you in, in person and appreciate everything you guys do. Thank you very much. Yep. I want to thank Butch Thompson at Auburn for allowing Coach Baird to come to his office to do the Zoom chat. Working for the ABCA, I get daily reminders of how great the baseball community is, and uh, this is just another example of, of how great it is. You can feel the passion for coaching and family with both Coach Baird and Coach Dunn. Uh, what a blessing it is for Coach Dunn to have been coached by two Hall of Famers and his dad and Coach Baird. Uh, one of the quotes that's going to stick with me from the episode is, Say 10 things 1,000 times as opposed to 1,000 things 10 times. It speaks to the consistency of messages from great coaches. When doing research for the interview, Wikipedia had Casey as an assistant for Auburn uh, for one season. I text Coach Dunn after the interview, and he said he was there for a week and hadn't got his desk set up yet, so uh, you can't believe everything that you read. Again, huge show of gratitude to Coach Baird and Coach Dunn for coming on to the podcast. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Oh